from Dragon360, this is Digital Banter, a podcast focused on modern marketing tactics and driving real business results. And now, here are your hosts, James and Zach. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Digital Banter. Of course, we're talking all things marketing, business, and just everything you probably didn't know you wanted to know. I know last time we talked about potentially talking a little bit more into attribution, but we actually have a special plan for that discussion, and we're going to push that to maybe next week, maybe a couple weeks down the road. So that discussion is coming. But we're actually moving towards this new conversation today, demand gen versus capturing demand. Now, when we were talking about this, James, you can attest to this. I was a little confused at first, too. I was like, hey, where are we going to take this? And so you might be sitting here right now listening, whether for your phone or your computer, wherever you are, and being like, what the hell is about to happen? How about, James, you tell us what the hell is about to happen? Yeah, this is definitely, I think, part of the reason we are pushing out the attribution conversation a little bit is I really think that this is a setup for that because as we go through the strategy here, you're going to find that there are gaps in measurement and those gaps in measurement are what are causing businesses to, in my opinion, do their marketing a bit backwards. So let's start with the definition of demand gen first capturing demand. It's pretty self-explanatory at the end of the day. Part of your marketing strategy should be built around capturing existing demand for your product within the market. There are people who are actively searching, actively looking at different brands after doing comparisons, people who are you know ready to buy and ready to make a decision. And then on the other side, there is demand gen, which I think there's a debate about this of whether or not it can be the same thing as brand awareness. But the idea is that in order to convince consumers to make a decision, you have to educate them along the way, whether you are serving a a product or industry where you're solving a unique solution problem that nobody has solved before. You really need to make your customers aware that you have the ability to solve their problems, bringing that pain point forward facing and then educating consumers on how your product addresses that pain point. And yeah, it's really about education and and driving demand for your product, driving awareness and demand of your product rather than basically creating the market for yourself. That's with a lot of startups today, a lot of companies in the the SaaS space, it's really important to make it known what problem you're trying to solve because a lot of of SaaS companies in particular are built on innovation and solving problems that haven't been solved before. And also, I, I think another big part that goes into that is your brand positioning. If you are in a competitive space, what is your seat at the table? What is, how are you different than everybody else? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I think this is a a really interesting topic. And I think it's one that's pretty enlightening. I think no matter what level of business you are, whether you're a small mom and pop or even a one-man team, all the way to the biggest corporation, let's say Google, even Facebook, or I guess Meta, excuse me, or Amazon, all of these things still have a play and they're all factoring into what they do. So I want to talk about some common 
capturing demand strategies. And there's ones that we've talked about quite a bit. Of course, utilizing paid search. You have a lot of control on paid search. It's keyword based. And down that road, it's high intent or even talking about Google Shopping. Those are very, like I said, high intent. On what level does a keyword not become high intent or when does it leave the idea of high intent? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely going to vary industry by yep. industry for companies with longer sales cycles, say automotive, anything in the B2B space, really. It's really going to vary versus an e-commerce brand. Like You can get away with super specific product-related searches of somebody's looking for luxury handbags or yep. searching specifically at the brand level, but really when you're building out search campaigns in particular, it's important to group keywords together based on the level intent that you see. Like you could have very specific things that have a very high level of intent. Like branded search is a huge one. High level, they already know who your brand is. Yep. They, whether or not there's value in that depends on the competition in the space, but obviously a high level intent. People searching to buy your product or compare your product to a competitor, those are going to be higher intent searches where there are going to be less lower intent searches. Like in the software space, we deal with a lot of people looking for free software. We have you know, a lot of people looking on just more generic industry terms. Yep. And so that's where the level of intent starts to, to dissipate. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with you. And branded search, you, you mentioned, that's probably one of the biggest capturing demand strategies, right? If someone is literally typing in your business name on Google, one, they know who you are. Odds are they know exactly what you offer or something around that. Or it's a word of mouth and they want to do a little bit of research themselves. They're looking at your keyword um, or your brand name in general, right? Odds are that generally goes to some sort of click through, whether it is to your website or Looking to call you directly or submitting a web form, yep. right? High intent keywords that could still be someone though in the research phase. They're they're they may have those ideal keywords. Let's say you're a 3D modeling software, and they're talking about 3D modeling software for X industry. That's pretty high intent. They know what they're looking for, and hopefully you're ranking pretty high or advertising on those aspects right. to make sure you capture that demand. Crazy. Yeah. It all loops back. And then using that example that you had too, if we want to talk about some lower intent keywords of what is 3D modeling? Like uh, a lot of, there's a lot more education based keywords and, and that's the stuff that honestly nowadays, unless you have like, the content su to support it in a, in a real strategy built around that in particular, it's not quite as effective. I think 10 years ago when there was far less competition and average costs per click were a lot cheaper. Yep. There's a lot more value in that. You could really position yourself as a thought leader in the market. But now, like we've talked about on the social side, there's better ways to do that. Now. 100%. Yeah, no. And another aspect of capturing demand is recapturing or known as retargeting all the people who have already visited your website or read something that you've posted, whether that's via an ad, some sort of engagement on, like you said, a social experience, anything like that. Retargeting is probably one that I can't think of a business that we specifically help or one that we've helped in the past that hasn't had some sort of retargeting aspect. It's your data. Go after it. 
Yeah, it, it's super helpful to stay in front of customers, right? That's the entire that's the entire point. I retargeting strategies can can drastically differ, right? On the e-commerce side, you have showing them the products that they left in their shopping cart, just convincing them to buy. I mean, you can offer them a potential offer to to help move things along where on the B2B side, I think it's more about providing potential customers with the documentation they need for educational purposes. Keep hitting them with the different unique selling points that you have, hitting them with your unique position at the market, explaining why you are better than competitors. It's really important in anything in retargeting that it is pretty bottom of the funnel focused though. Oh, for Uh, sure. You definitely want to be making sure, because you know that there's a high level intent. They've already been to your website. On our last podcast, we talked a bit about how your website has changed. They've been to your website. They're looking to looking for the information that's going to help them make a decision. And then in longer sales cycles, it's even more important because you're able to continuously stay in front of them. I can't tell you how many software demos I've done since working in the marketing space. And then I probably could have come back to later, but didn't because I found an alternative solution and didn't dig any deeper into the first one that I looked at. And that's where I think retargeting can be super helpful. Absolutely. You're mentioning the website quite a bit. I know we talk about websites, like you said, specifically last week, we talked about how your homepage is right, no longer your home. What is the role of the user experience? It's more than just talking about advertising on an ad or or a, not an ad, a, a high intent keyword, or it's more than just retargeting them via everywhere in the digital space, make sure you're in front of them. What is that role of user experience when it comes to capturing? So there's a lot of things that you can make a user experience easier. The user experience on your website is often a direct reflection of what a customer experience is going to be like. If it's easy to if it's easy to convert on a website, then you're much more likely I think that there's a conception that you are more likely to have a good customer experience if you purchase something, especially in the software space. So if you're looking for a marketing automation system and it's super easy to convert, you're provided all of the information that you need, the expectation is that product is also going to serve the same purpose. But there are also basic things when somebody is at the bottom of the funnel that you need to do in order to continuously improve on that process heat mapping, customer journey mapping, looking at how users are navigating through your website by watching visitor recordings, figure out what's working, what's not working, what content are they engaging with on your website. And that's going to help you figure out what is <laughs> what is relevant for them. What content Absolutely. are they engaging with? What do they like? It's almost, it almost goes back to, we talked about in social ad campaigns, measuring based on social engagement to tell you how good your content is, right? You can't really do that with the content on your website. I guess you can look at page views, time on site and things like that, but there's nothing more insightful than watching a user interact with your website, clicking on the, the various buttons that you have available and seeing where they go, see where they spend time reading. Cause those are things that you really just don't get out of a standard analytics tool. And that's really going to tell you what's important, right? If 
or what's not important. You, yeah, if you see that, you've everybody's seen them, like the the competitive comparisons where you have yep. our brand and how we stack up against eight other brands. If you have somebody who's spending like twenty minutes looking at that, that's a little excessive. But a long time looking at that, and then all the fluff that you have on the top of the page is about just honestly BS about you. It kind of shows you that you should flip that page. They're finding these competitive comparisons more important. It could quite frankly be the opposite. And that's what you need to figure out because every, almost everything at the bottom funnel is making sure that customers have what they need in order to make a decision. For sure. Yeah, no, and I'm not trying to turn this into a UX or anything type of podcast, but something that I think a lot of business owners need to realize is you may be super passionate about something you've created, typed up, um, you've put together on your website. Don't take offense if that's not what people want. Sometimes, you know, what you want is very different than what people actually want. That's an important lesson that I think most business owners have to learn to to accept is not everything you create is going to be what they want. And to make sure you do have, and we've said this before, your audience, your prospect, your customer in mind behind everything you do. Because at the end of the day, that's what you're going for. We've talked a lot of times a- what you'll find on the, sorry, oh, I was going to say a lot of the times what you find on the, the UX side is the simpler, the better. 100%. Right? Like what you said, as far as like being passionate about something that you wrote or put together, or there's a lot, obviously there's a lot of thought that goes into marketing that <laughs> you can be proud of, yep. but a lot of times simpler is better. I talked to some really successful business owners and I even think about myself and I'm not saying I'm a successful business owner. What I'm saying is with experience, I think what I've learned best is what not to do so that now my clients and customers are prospering because I've already gone through all the failures. And that's what a lot of business owners tend to say too, is the best thing I ever learned to do was fail. And and I'm not saying your website would be a failure, but just keep that in mind. But yeah, we've been talking a lot about kind of just different strategies. Now, everything we've been saying, and this is going to sound weird coming out of my mouth, it sounds like why would you do anything different? Why would you not go for the people who are looking for you, right? Of course, you want to still be in those low intent areas. But honest to God, like what's wrong with this strategy? Like why wouldn't, I don't know, I'm trying to phrase that. What is wrong with it? Why wouldn't you go for all of this only? (laughs) The question I would pose there is, how did they get to that point? They Talking don't just start there? The, no. It, nobody starts at the bottom of the funnel. That's why I, it's, I don't want to say that marketers don't understand that. The finance departments of somebody hey, hold up. might not understand You're that. lagging hard. Really? Yeah, you might turn off your video. I don't know if your internet's having trouble. It's been having trouble. You sounded like a robot there. You're probably going to want to re-say all that. I'll turn off my camera too to help. It did it help or I've been losing internet like freaking nonstop. Yeah. Earlier it was like every once in a while one word and I'll be able to hopefully fix that. Yeah, I think we're good now. Okay. Where was I? You want I can just No, I'm just thinking like what the I wanna where did I start to cut it? Yeah, you just start and then I'll yeah. come back because I'm not sure where I cut off. So we've been talking about all these high intent strategies, capturing demand strategies, branded search, retargeting. We've been talking about the user experience, how all this factors in, but I, I, what's wrong with this strategy, right? This can't be the only thing. I think the question that I would pose there is everything that we've been focused is on de- capturing existing demand and nurturing people who've made it to that point. 
obviously very high return on investment activities. I think the question to pose there is how did they get there? How did they get to the bottom of the funnel? How did they get to their website? How did they hear about you? And that's where I think a lot of marketers miss. And I think a lot of marketers really miss because they ha- everyone has strict ROI targets that they need to hit. And you'll find that people are focused on some of the funnel activities because they feel like that's what drives revenue today. Quite frankly, a, a pretty short-sighted view to marketing and, and growing your business. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And when you think about it, there are going to be people who may not go through a digital journey to get to the bottom of funnel. There are going to be people, there are going to be customers, prospects who digitally may start at these high intent aspects. They've already talked with colleagues in the industry, but at some point they were still doing very basic research. They may not have known anything of what they were doing. So that is something to also keep in mind here is someone digitally may start at the bottom of funnel. However, they didn't start there from the beginning. And so it's trying to find that that sweet spot of where should you get into the game, right? Where should your brand really make that introduction at what intent level? If we were to only go for high intent and high demand strategies, what are some common issues you, you find? One that I can specifically think of is if you're thinking about the SaaS or B2B or even software, is if you're trying to go for only those high intent with almost no nurturing behind it, you're going to see higher churn, right? Churn is a term that's very well known, especially in the SaaS world for people who are, you know, who leave your product, cancel your product, cancel their subscription, whatever it may be. You tend to see higher churn if you're only going for those people who just do a very basic search, right? And you were talking about the idea of free software, free this, right? Clearly they want this software, but they're looking for the free option. They're probably not the best fit for your product, especially if it has a sales aspect to it. So what are some other things that can go? Yeah, I think what a lot of marketing, what happens to a lot of marketing teams is their their budgets get flipped in a way, flipped, flipped to the opposite of where they should be. Best standard across any business at this point is to have some sort of full funnel approach. When you think of a funnel, it is bigger at the top and small at the bottom. And if you are only focused on those bottom of the funnel activities and the majority of your budget is going to the bottom of the funnel, there's nothing that is helping you get new customers that aren't already searching for you. So you're going to, you're going to die out essentially. I've worked with brands who are comparing their return on ad spend for branded search to prospecting campaigns on Facebook. And I, I think that's just, that's what's wrong with the system, right? You have your finance team saying, hey, we need to hit this ROI. And nobody's, it seems like nobody's looking on the outside saying, well, I don't really care as much what the short-term ROI is on these campaigns. Are we serving our message to our customers? Is it resonating with them? Are we filling our market position? Like, those are all things that you need to cover at the top of the funnel in the demand generation stage, which gets flipped. So if you look at, and the other thing too, if you look at some of the, the, some of the capturing demand strategies that we looked at, there's pretty low 
levels of we we call it incrementality. Yep. What we're talking about there is the percentage of these people that would have converted anyways, right? So somebody's already searching for your brand, they've already visited your website. There's a good chance that they're going to make it through their process anyways. A lot of that strategy is focused on accelerating that process. We talked about retargeting, nurturing. That's really focused on acceleration. CRO, user experience is focused on acceleration. A paid search, they're searching for your brand. Again, depending on your sales model, that stuff is already in the pipeline, already happening, whether they're in contact with your sales team or not. It's moving through the system already. So of those marketing efforts, only a percentage, I think the industry standard for a retargeting campaign is like the revenue associated with a retargeting campaign is only 30% incremental. Branded search is 20 to 30% incremental on the high end versus LinkedIn prospecting campaign is going to be 80 to 90% incremental Yep, because you're focused on new customers you're focused on and of course like the cost to acquire a new customer is higher and companies need to do a better job of benchmarking what the expectations are for those types of campaigns instead of saying oh man our facebook prospecting isn't working because we're only getting a one-to-one return on it we're breaking even on our branded search campaigns we're getting a thousand to one return yep and yeah we know but that's what brings that's what brings people into the top of the fall. And like, quite frankly, your marketing budget should map the same way that a funnel does. Yep. Bigger at the top, smaller at the bottom. Because at the bottom, you most businesses have other solutions for that. Too. Like, I'm talking specifically about paid media here. At that point, you have SDR reps reaching out. You have marketing automation systems, you have email, you have the organic content on your website, they're already going to your website, they're searching for your brand. That A lot of that stuff's covered. And it's really about building up from there rather than putting together this constant comparison between top of funnel activities and bottom of funnel activities. Absolutely. Yeah. So in an essence, talking about where do you go from this idea of capturing demand strategies, it's more about shifting to more of a demand gen focus, right? Creating the funnel, going through the customer journey, being willing to accept that maybe your top of funnel campaigns may not bring you the biggest return, but the ultimate goal, of course, is after all this nurturing, your bottom of funnel is where you'll make big bucks. In an essence, is there an ideal split? You were talking about the upside down funnel, right? Bigger at the top, smaller at the bottom. That's not an upside down funnel. That's a normal funnel. Actually, if you think <laughs> about how a funnel works, about how I'm much to... Yeah, exactly. An upside down pyramid. How much do you spend on demand gen versus demand capture? Do you have a split that you like to talk about with the team or even your clients? Yeah, it definitely gets to a point where the middle of the funnel gets a little funky depending on different business strategies, but it's like a 70, 30 split, honestly. The top. Yeah. It's draw a funnel. Go ahead. Draw it on a piece of paper. That's that if, but seriously, if I'm putting that out there, like that's what it, that's what it should look like. Businesses don't invest enough in brand and ultimately brand is what makes a consumer buy from one company or another. And just to put it in perspective a little bit, in today's market, things are extremely competitive. Even if you do have 
unique position in the market that is like a need that everybody else is just people are just going to duplicate it they see something they say that's a great idea they're going to duplicate it and probably find a way to improve upon it and that's where product innovation becomes super important too but point being building your brand and being well known in the space and having being respected is extremely important and that level of awareness respect preference is not built at the bottom of the funnel if you have a good product that type of strategy should work if you don't have a good product and you don't have a good position in the space and you you don't have a good unique selling proposition then you've got bigger problems but for a company who, who really has something it should be very high investment towards top of funnel activities, brand awareness, demand generation, education. In my 70%, I'm definitely grouping in middle of the funnel stuff. Yeah, no, for Uh, sure. But it should be flipped. There should be less focus on the way, I don't want to say less focus on ROI because revenue is extremely important with drives a business at the end of the day. But when you flip your investment funnel, which you should find is that the bottom of the funnel activity gets a lot bigger. We talk about on the B2B side, measuring things like pipeline opportunity, like that you should see that grow naturally. Now, the struggle that most marketers are going to have is talking about broken attribution. Your attribution software isn't going to tell you necessarily what that came from, right? You're, if you're running general branding ads and somebody saw it, they've been doing research for a couple months, like you're never going to see that attribution. You might get bits and pieces of it, but to say, hey, remember this like video that we promoted for three months straight and you're not going to see, oh, they viewed that video, clicked on the video, went to the website, made a purchase, reached out to our SDR, like that. there's going to be a million steps in between. And that's where, that's the reason I think those budgets are flipped because bottom of the funnel is easier to measure where top of the funnel is frankly more effective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've been talking about, I think it's only fair for demand gen, right? We talked about earlier capturing demand strategies. I think we should talk about some common tactics for demand gen since we've been talking about it so much. One of them goes back to one of our very first podcasts, persona development, right? You got to find your target market. Who are you going for? Where are they at in their Um, buying journey, right? Where can you meet them? Where is it best for you to get in there? Who the heck are they? Another one is, like you said, paid social prospecting. Social tends to be a lot cheaper. Now, LinkedIn tends to be on the higher side, of course, but doing prospecting campaigns, you can really find who your interested demographics are. You can break it out by job titles or job experience, job function, as well as what are their business interests in general. Another one, is talking about back to the whole funnel aspect and not just building a funnel of top, middle, and bottom, but really bringing in an omni-channel approach, which this does bring into the aspect, retargeting aspects, right? Find your people via LinkedIn, retarget them on Facebook or Google Display Network. Um, What are some other ones that you think are pretty common tactics that we try and implement our clients? It goes back to exactly what you said. You have to, we built out those personas. Let's find where they are. Social is huge. The, I I say the word social, like social is 
again, we, we've run into this many times now. More, it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, <laughs> Slack, where, wherever your audience is interacting with each other. And that's going to, it's going to vary brand by brand because different audiences live in different places. It has a very high technical community, B2B stuff. LinkedIn is fantastic. The outdoor sports space, Instagram is huge. And then really, really finding digging into to what those markets are, looking at the targetability of them. I think that's a that's basically, if you're looking for a good media team, the one of the things I think often goes, I don't want to say unappreciated is Product marketers, CMOs, they put a lot of work into things like persona development, customer journey mapping, foundational things that are needed. What sometimes I feel like is missed there is, okay, so that's great. You've done a lot of customer research, but now you got to find out how to find them. Like Now you have to find out where they are because every platform has different targeting capabilities too, right? Like You got groups on Facebook, you have job titles and that kind of stuff on LinkedIn. And each platform has their own specialty. Pinterest is huge for inspirational things. And depending on what your product is, you just have to, you have to find the fit, find the audience, look through all of the potential targeting options, see what's there. Quite frankly, there's a lot that you can learn by just layering in, I think they're like view only audiences where you're not yep. actually targeting the audiences, but you don't no, no, Google is like how your audience. Yeah. Observation, how your audience stacks up against other things, right? Oh, like I'm in a B2B market, but I'm also finding out that my customers are super interested in something else. So, you know, you can learn a lot and use that to further expand and further search for places where you can you can reach your market. Yep. I think a big piece as well, and, and this is going to be rare that we say this, but it's not thinking about who your audience is, but it's actually, where are you in the market? Where is your business? And I think that's something as well that a lot of people potentially don't look at, whether you are in marketing or you're in sales, is understanding where you sit in the market. Because that also dictates where you start at the top of funnel. If no one knows who you are, now most people go into business, they're excited, right? They want to be the number one if they're locally, right? They want to be number one in their area. If they're a national brand going even potentially international, global, they want to be number one. Who doesn't? Why would you go into business to be number three? But it's understanding that you can't just go in and be number one right away. You need to understand, one, what is everyone around you? But also, how do I get people to know who I am? Right? Not everybody blows up like Facebook. Not everyone blows up like Google or even Slack. Slack is one of those ones that did start small. But it's because they understood where they were, who their target was, and how they were going to get there and differentiate themselves. So I think that's also a key piece is you have to illustrate of how you're going to be the disruptor, how you're different in your market and how you want to grow to the next big thing. So you can get your series A, B, or C, or all the way through D funding, right? If you want to be acquired or go public, get your IPO. You got to start somewhere and you have to understand where you're at the time that you start developing it. And I think that is a key piece that, James, maybe you agree here and maybe you don't at all. A lot of businesses who are very successful, I still feel they don't Pay attention to this. And it's still relevant, again, if you're a corporation making 
millions or even a net a billion a year, it's still important to know where you're at. There's always a bigger fish. And I'm quoting Star Wars there. There's always a bigger fish. So just something you got to be aware of. Yeah, you're absolutely market positioning is huge. Like I said, we were do we we do a lot with persona development, ICPs, things like that, and that's great for the. It's great that you know who your customer is, but if you don't know how you serve your customer differently or better than a competitor, because you have to break like you have to break this down too. Persona, you have to break down like you might be serving a small to medium-sized business of the market where, quite frankly, there are enterprise solutions that offer higher levels of customization that are fit for a more enterprise-level piece of the market where your solution is not that way. That's actually like a really good example of market positioning. I think Google Ads does a lot of, they release a lot of features that are built for different segments of the market and they market to each of them differently. We're both ads guys. We know how stupid smart campaigns or anything that Google (laughs) puts the word smart in front of can be. So smart campaigns are built to, for a, a small business who has no idea how to manage everything, just to loop everything into to one thing. They don't plan on looking and optimizing the data. That's how smart campaigns are built. Heavily felt focus on AI, very little reporting and insights. That serves a segment of the market, a guy who owns a plumbing company, knows he wants to advertise on Google, has no idea what he's doing. Versus an enterprise corporation, they want to get into the nitty gritty, like what keywords are working, what sites are working, what is this? Is there anything that we can learn about our customers from the data that's available there? How can we optimize? That's a different level of the market, a completely different position, a completely different message. Google's a giant company, so they can serve both sides. But I mean, there's software that's built high level market stuff and low level market stuff. And you have to know where you sit and know what your point is, because what I think a lot of companies try to do is use Google. I'll pretend that Google was a bad example. If Google wanted to market all of their advertising solutions to everybody without tailoring their message at all, like they wouldn't find a sweet spot in, they wouldn't be nearly as successful as they are. Let me put it that way. No, I absolutely agree with you. We've been talking about all these strategies, how you pivot, what's wrong with some certain strategies. I want to get down to now more measurement. Like how do you, and I I think a good comparison here is, you know, D to C versus uh, B to B. And I'm trying to think of a good way to take this. So if you're B to B, one way to measure if something is working is what is your time to close? Prior to doing anything, if it was taking you, let's just say, 180 days to close a big account on average. After you throw in some demand gen tactics we've been talking about, prospecting, zona development, understanding market position, would you find it successful if your time to close is now 100 days, right? And then all of a sudden, it may be another year down the line, your time to close becomes, what did I say, 100? It becomes 75 days. Man, I forgot the number I chose. 75 days. Is that proving effective? In my eyes, I would say, absolutely. You've cut that time in more than half, right? That yeah, should I be. Think you're, 
your sales team would be extremely happy with that, I would think. I would hope so. In essence, faster time to close. Typically, that means you're closing more as well. You have more time to focus on more. Yeah, that's, coming in. That's, the other ha- that's the other half of it, too, is that you should have more in your sales pipeline. Yep. More in your sales pipeline, shorter times to close. Like that's for a B2B market who be company that those are two very important KPIs to look at. And both of those are just leading indicators of sales. If you're getting more pipeline and you're closing faster, your sales is going to increase. Sales sales and modeling against sales from D to C, B2B, somewhere in the middle, that is always going to be important. It's more about like how you do it, honestly. Yep. Yeah. So in B2B, we're talking about time to close. That's pretty common, especially in software. How long does it take to close a client? Now on the D2C side, let's use like an automotive company, for example. You have a, a good one for a D2C? Yeah, this is where this is really because so I always think of it's funny. My my wife works. She is a marketer for uh, several auto dealerships. So I get this space quite a bit. But if you think so, go back going back to the strategy that we talked about before around on the demand gen side, focusing more on education brand. If you think about it, this is like a lot of what car, especially in the last two years with COVID and all this stuff, like people are coming, like people are coming ready to buy right now. All of the research that you do, it's very rare that somebody shows up to a car lot these days and says, Hey, I'm going to test drive four different cars and test whatever. You'll get somebody who says, Hey, I want this Ford Raptor. I've been doing a lot of research on it. I just want to drive it just to make sure that this one's not broken. That's how test drives have changed. And, And really what's happening is there's quite frankly, like less and less need for dealerships at all to be doing sales. You see companies like Carvana, CarMax, Tesla, you can only get a Tesla ordered online. There's everything's moving that way. And it's because these companies have provided their customers with all the education that they could possibly ever want. Yep. So they don't need a salesman anymore. In, yeah, when they come in, they're ready to buy because and nature of the market in any bit any company right now is people are doing more research on their own. So you have to provide them with what they need. And, and I think the, the automotive market is just proving how successful that is. You have the hottest market it's ever been right now. People are just coming in by ordering a car. There, there is no time to close. I, I, I would, if I'm speaking to my wife, probably nine out of ten customers who walk in the door are just putting it in order right now. And that's like what you look for in the B2B space too. Like that's where, I think that's where we want to take it is the point where they've done all their research, they have everything they need and they're just like ready to buy. And and if I, honestly, if I think about any like software decision I've made in the last eight years, maybe not eight years, but four years, it's been that way. Absolutely. Did all the research. We use this tool called Funnel.io. It's our reporting tool. I went and did a bunch, looked at a bunch of them and- that one had all of the connections that we needed in order to be successful when nobody else had it. Like I did my research. I knew what I, I knew what we needed. So you must've been that, that sales that, guy, but it's, I don't know. It's easy. Like any big purchase, like I've made, I, we've talked about, I'm a big fisherman too. I yep. have a nice boat. I'll tell you what, I didn't go look at the boat before I bought it. I looked at it online and knew all my research had my friends who have similar boats. Like I knew what I wanted and it is exactly what I expected. 
Yeah. Uh, See, that's interesting. And I don't know how a lot of people feel about this guy that I'm going to mention, but this brings me to an example. Very well known in the business space, especially those who are wanting to grow businesses, different things like that. So whether or not you like this guy or not, but Grant Cardone, very successful salesman, built huge real estate empire now, everything. But he he does a lot of talking and a lot of events where he will, it's like those business motivation and he, for an example, he knew exactly what he wanted. And he picked someone in the audience, said, tell me what your business is, and ended up being a plumbing business. And he's like, okay, I want this specific water heater. So he called the business, right? and he said, hey, can you tell me how much this water heater is? Because he wanted to prove the point that people are making customers work too hard. And the, I think it was a salesperson, or maybe it was the front desk lady. She says, oh, sorry, I can't give you that. We have to go out. We have to measure. He'll give you a quote, and then we'll do all this. And he's like, but I know what I want. Like, I know it's going to work. And, he, and in the end, she's like, well, sorry, sir, that's just not how we work. And then she hung up on him, And uh, which that goes down a whole nother rabbit hole of customer service. But at the end of the day, it's that company is making his customer work too hard. And it goes to the point of he knew exactly what he wanted. He knows it'll fit. He probably on some level... Might even just pay for them to install it, but there's no need for someone to go out there, do specific measurements, go through yeah. the sales pitch. He knew what he wanted. And that's like you were talking about these disruptors of Carvana, CarMax, Tesla. I'm sure there's tons of them now, but Arguru. That's where they have this aspect of, okay, here you go. And even then, so Capital One, they also saw a, that niche. They saw it was doing well. And of course, Capital One offers auto loans. They saw their position in the market of how can we take advantage of this? They came up with the aspect of let's just get you pre-approved without hurting your credit, which is huge nowadays. You'll be able to look at all of these cars. We're going to tell you the price and what your financing will be. So all you literally have to do is go pick up the keys. And heck, some of the dealerships will even bring it to you. And, and so that's an example of someone looking at the market Looking at what's happening around them, saying, hey, let's get in on this at the right time. And now Capital One is so many ads just all about this new car stuff. That Those are great examples. I, I think one thing that you just made me think of there, too, is when was the last time you haggled on a price for something? And I'm not talking about a Craigslist deal or Facebook marketplace, right? Like an actual automotive you used to go in and you expected to spend a few thousand dollars less than what the car is software the same thing oh. well I, you know, I bet i could i bet i could get this down is what you would go in with right yep. that's not the case anymore no to tell you the truth james you know this right in july before my son was born we bought a brand new car and the only thing that really happened was discussing the only negotiation that I can really think of was how much they're going to give me for my old car. And let me tell you, it was not a good car. It was very old. <laughs> and so it was pretty much, hey, if you give me this much, I'll match that much for also a down payment type thing. And that's what the negotiation yeah. was of like, hey, do you want more money out of us? Because here you go. And and that's what it ended up being. It wasn't even negotiating on the price of our new vehicle. It wasn't negotiating interest. Any of that stuff. It was, yeah, we know the price. We know what we want. I think we test drove two cars because it was like an older model versus a newer model just to feel the difference. But you're absolutely right. We did all of our research. I I, I feel like there's so many examples of this. Yeah. So I'm going to end this with kind of one more good story about uh, a purchase I had recently. So I just bought a a nice zero-turn lawnmower for my from my yard. And I'll tell you exactly, because this just shows what customer journeys are like. I knew I wanted one towards the end of last year. My 
current riding mower is rusted, disgusting, falling apart. I got to pump up the tires every time I <laughs> I try to mow the lawn. So I, I knew that last year was the last year and I was just trying to pick it out. And I knew exactly, I knew I wanted a, a zero turn mower because to be honest, I have a, a kid now. Time is money at the end of the day. It took me probably two hours to mow my lawn with my new mower that I got now. It takes about 10 minutes. I do a lot of research on my own. Um, looking at different models. And then a buddy of mine goes, really, there's two friends of mine that have this exact mower that I have. And they said, basically, you're going to get this one. And this is the, the best thing around. One of them run the landscaping business and the other one works for those car dealerships I was telling you about. But anyways, like lots of input from friends. I did a lot of research. Then I went and took those models and I did the research on my own. I want to make the decision. So then I just called up the dealership and I was like, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. And he goes, yep, I got it. I'll put your name on it. And that was like, I, I knew I wanted it at that point. And he put, he put my name on it. And I was actually pretty confused on whether or not I was confused on whether or not I was like, thought I would have to go in, sign for financing and do all this stuff. So it was like a fairly expensive purchase. And he just emails me like four days later. He goes, is this day work for delivery? And I'm like, sure. And I thought delivery meaning, well, I had to go in and sign for everything. Nope. They just brought it to my house, dropped it off. I signed in one spot and then <laughs> got the financing stuff in the, the mail like a couple of days later. Like, But it was that easy where I didn't, I, I literally had one phone call with a guy for 10 minutes and, you know, that was it. Yeah. And you- I did all that. Yep. Because I did all that research on my own. Yep. And this is exactly, I used the term pivot earlier, and this is exactly right. Even, I would even say five years ago, you would have still probably had to go in and talk with Chad with the Oakley sunglasses to try and get you in the next upgraded zero turn model, whether it's a John Deere or Ryobi or whatever it is. But now it really is just that simple. And that's something as well that needs to be taken into account. And we've really shifted this into business tactics. But at the end of the day, it goes back to the idea of what is the role of the user experience, right? Your user experience when buying that lawnmower was, this is not a headache. I don't regret going in here. I had I had all the information that I needed. Yep. that's the, I think that's really the main point that I'm trying to get across here is that whether you're a software company, whether you're a car company, whatever it may be, it's getting customers the information that they need. And marketers are not, marketers, business finance departments are not seeing the value in the creation of that content. Yep. Because it's not directly measurable and directly attributed to sales. The reality is the reason that I made that decision, any of those decisions, are because I had all the information that I needed. Yeah, and I'll close this out. I know we're, we're running long. Don't want all of you to get bored already. Ultimately, it goes back to as well, understanding your persona. So something to understand, James and I were very digital savvy. We understand how the interweb works. However, let's talk about the baby boomer generation. What we do research, Carvana, going back to that aspect, it probably doesn't work for most of them. Now, I'll say this. I'm very, my grandparents are very tech savvy. However, they still do research. However, they still want that genuine experience of going in and talking with a car salesman or meeting with the finance manager to go over everything. Right? Whereas people like me and you, James, a little bit younger um, in the millennial generation, we prefer to not do that. 
We'd rather it be simple. Let's just do it all online. If possible, I don't even want to make a call. And let's be honest, who does that anymore? Yeah. The chat functions on websites are like my best friend. At the end of the day, oh. right? It's understanding. Okay. Your- I was going to say, I can't even get my wife to call and order food anymore. It has no. to be done online. We yep. literally make we make food ordering decisions, whether or not like we can order online or have yep. to call. Dude, that's so fun, man. That's a whole nother aspect. A whole nother conversation, I should say. But you got to understand that as well. If you serve primarily a senior environment or senior product, yeah, maybe you still have to do the face-to-face thing. Whereas if you're going for anybody, make sure you have both options. So I'll close it out there. Are there any final kind of points that you think that we haven't covered? I think like the... Maybe the one thing we didn't dive too deep into is just like how you would measure that for a true D2C brand, which is more of like an impulse purchase. But I think we can save that for another time because your time to close on which toilet paper you buy is (laughs) drastic. (laughs) Not necessarily something that's measurable, but I think that's a whole different market, a whole different conversation for another day. Absolutely. So there you go. There's a sneak sneak peek into a future conversation we're going to have. Like I said, we were going to be talking about attribution today. We're moving that off. Like I said, it could be next week, could be the week after. Not 100% sure, but we want to bring in a special guest that I think we've mentioned once or twice, but nonetheless, we're going to have him on here. Not going to tell you who yet. I'll save it for that week. By all means, be sure to stay tuned. Be sure to follow us on all the platforms, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Digital Banter. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are uploaded every Friday. In the meantime, keep up with the show by following James and Zach on social media. Links are in the show notes.